We are here today with Ken Clark, realtor and former legislator, and which is, it's kind of strange words, both realtor and legislator. Yeah. Almost like Thor, they sound almost, I don't know, there's a strength to them. Like realtor sounds uh, really basic to yeah. me. It's almost like a barbarian sound. But but n- neither of those um, careers are actually trusted by people. So oh, I don't know. Realtor, legislator, I, if only I were just a lawyer as well. Yeah. <laughs> then, then you no have the trifecta. Me. The trifecta yeah. of mistrust. Well, that's interesting, though, because I trusted my realtor when we had one, when we moved to Phoenix. Uh, yeah. We had a great realtor. I, I really trusted her. She was great. And I think in opinion polls is what I'm thinking. Oh, okay. Um, they really not do well in opinion no. polls. That surprises me. Yeah. And legislatures, I think legislators goes either way, I think. You like yours. The more yeah, local you, like, you get, the more they, they Exactly. Get. And that's why we can't get rid of some people. I hate politicians, but mine's okay. Yeah. Well, speaking of politics, I think I saw this on, I saw this on your Twitter feed a while back. Ranked choice voting Mm -hmm. in uh, New York City. Now, to me, as a logical person, that seems like a really good idea, but I don't know all the ins and outs of it. Are you for or against? I am very for ranked choice voting. New York showed some of the potential weaknesses if you don't have a good system that knows how to count it. The problem with New York is you can't blame ranked choice voting. New York City has had a long, sordid history of not doing a good job counting their votes, Mm. from what I understand. But I worked on a ranked choice voting election in Australia in 2006. And it was, ranked choice voting is amazing because it creates a situation. You have less of an identity with a camp, a party and more of an identity with, it's more about the, the policy, which is kind of what we would like to see, right? So as in a ranked choice voting system, you rank the candidates in the order you'd like to see them win. And then... In the first round of voting, whoever has the lowest number of votes, who the no, lowest number of number ones, first rankings, that person is eliminated and all their number twos are redistributed. Okay, so what it essentially means is you don't have a primary in a general election. It's all done at the same time. Oh, I like that. I like right? that Saves too. money, fewer signs on the yards and the street mm-hmm. corners, right? And the Republicans should like that too because it's fewer voters. Well, not fewer yeah. voters, but fewer votes. <laughs> fewer votes. You would think they'd want to save money. There are, there are a number of Republicans at the Capitol who are in favor of ranked choice voting, but they have to kind of keep their heads down. Uh, yeah, they could get lopped off by their fellow Republicans. Is that considered a liberal position? I don't know that many people really think about it too much. They probably do now since New York did it. Oh, I see. But Alaska just passed a ranked choice. It's actually a hybrid ranked choice voting system, mm-hmm. and Maine has it. And I think there are some others that are going to be voting on it soon. So the group I'm volunteering with, led by a really great bunch of people, I check in on the meetings and whatnot. They are very qualified people. They come from tech, Motorola, engineer kind of people, and they're really well organized and they're raising money, very grassroots. And um, they have regular meetings to talk about next steps and research and all that. Anyway, it's called uh, Voter Choice Arizona. They, do that, is that, uh, they have a website? They do. Voter Choice Arizona. Okay. Dot com? Yep. I okay. better be right. I well, we'll put, I'll put the link yeah. in the notes. Yeah. Thank you. I remember when I was in Australia talking to, I used to be married to an Australian, so I would talk to friends and family, you know, around the Barbie, I suppose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, they would be talking about the parties and policy or whatever, and there was just less of this strict 
identity with a particular party. Mm-hmm. So they'd say, well, I'm not so I'm not a fan of this policy by the liberals, but the conservatives are doing this mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. But this, you know, it actually created more space for conversation. Right. Do they have a bit more of a parliamentarian yeah, structure? They do. Okay. They do. That might help. Which too. does not it does not necessitate that you have to have a parliamentary system. Right. One of the things that drew me to it was the idea to try to fix one of the main problems I see in the United States when it comes to voting and that people don't want to vote for losers. So they will vote for the person who they think they can, who can win, even if that's not their preferred candidate. Yeah. I could see this changing then. And that drives me crazy a little bit because I have kind of a a long history of supporting third party candidates. Uh, Right. And there, there's plenty of argument about whether this does support third party candidates or not. And I would suggest that there's a lot of theorizing about what it could do, but okay. whether it actually would. What I noticed in, in Australia is that third-party candidates definitely had a greater opportunity. Mm-hmm. There were situations where you had what we would con- consider competitive districts, very, very close, where they had a, quite a lot of influence, as you would think that they might. And it creates a situation where the primary major candidates have to tone down their rhetoric so that they don't alienate that second vote. Mm-hmm. So if, if I think, well, I'm, I'm not, I might not get your number one vote, but I might get your number two, I better stop trashing the other's candidates so I don't look like a complete nutbag. Mm-hmm. So I'll get your number two, and that might get me through to the second round. Requires a little more strategy. Yeah, a lot of strategy, yeah. You might get, get people talking more, which is which generally is a good thing. Whole, our our yeah. candidates are kind of ridiculous here in the States where they, they hardly talk. They no, hardly no, talk to each other. at all. So let's talk about something a little more local and fun. Uh, you guys have been talking about something called Festivus, but I think, is it pronounced Festivus or Fostivus? Because it's Festivus. Okay. It's it's the traditional Festivus, but spelled with a PH. Okay. With the Phoenix, you know. Right. Phoenix right. Festivus, yeah. You got it. How did you come up with that name? I knew that I wanted to do uh, some kind of a Christmas market. Okay. Because I was a military brat and we lived in Germany and I just thought those, they were amazing. I loved the Christmas markets. Mm -hmm. Around about 2010, I was saying to this group of volunteers that helped me put on the Get Your Fix events. Mm -hmm. I said, well, what do you guys think? We should do some kind of big Christmas market. And uh, then we're just like, you know, brainstorming and spitballing. And someone said, why don't we think about the Festivus thing? So I just, you know, combined them. And the thing about Festivus in order to be a vendor, you must be locally owned. Yes. We favor locally owned sponsors because we support local first and all that. There are times when we don't always get to do that because we do have to raise money to, right. you know, put up the fences and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Uh, what's nice is that we have a certain goofy flavor to it. It uh, is. Just silliness. Like, so we have the feats of strength and the airing of grievances and the Festivus pole. And then somewhere about five years ago, along came... Um, hipster santa i saw that (laughs) he's wonderful and he's got you know a big white beard and he's got suspenders and glasses and funny pants and looks like a hipster and people line up for uh, probably sometimes i've seen him lining up for half an hour oh my gosh and just get a picture with him you've got this great little living room scene with a fireplace and old furniture from the 60s. And like, <laughs> if you look closely, there's some things in there. Like there's a little beer over in the corner, like an old Schlitz. And like there's a, a Playboy from the 1960s sitting on the coffee table, like right next to Santa. I love it. And, uh, but it's all, it's for family. Like the kids don't know what that is because right. they weren't really showing 
you know too much on those covers, but it's fun and people we get. So we've got Festivus Ale. Okay. The local brewery makes Festivus Ale for us. We've had that for six or seven years. No, wait, since two thousand. Yeah, that's about right. And what mm-hmm. color is the ale? It's kind of you know what it's kind of like um, Newcastle Ale. It's like a nut brown I was, ale. I was hoping you would say it was green. Oh, green. No. <laughs> no. 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 That's sacrilege. Okay. Um, fair, fair point. Fair point. <laughs> I went to a bar once in college. It was like one of these uh, St. Patrick's Day thing. Mm-hmm. And this bartender or the waiter or something tries to turn like Guinness green. Like they put all this dye in the Guinness. It's, it's When someone appalling. ordered a Guinness and they get it and they're like, the foam is green, but nothing else is green. Right. Mm-hmm. Why did you do this? <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we got Festivus Ale. We got all the food trucks and... Uh, the food trucks get into it too. Like a uh, short leash food truck has a Costanza dog mm-hmm. uh, special. I love thing. it. Yeah. So now we had had to take last year off. Yes. Yes. In you 2019, did. we got up to 15,000 people. We got up to 200 vendors. And the Festivus has for many years been two successive Thursdays. Mm-hmm. So that way, if you miss the first Thursday, you can come back. Well, what we're trying to do this year, since we took a year off and we've been wanting to move to two nights in mm-hmm. a row we decided we're going to do that this year i think that's fantastic yeah. it'll be like a wednesday and a thursday night i don't want to do friday night because then you'll get all these drunk people out there and like right. it's not the scene we're trying to create no it's I, not no i'm gra- i'm glad to have the beer cool mm-hmm. but it's not going to be like new orleans thank you very much I no. want you to come shop support local have a beer have a good time and that's perfect for it's me. a wonderful event as thank a former you. participant like way back in the early Festivus days, I always mm-hmm. had such a, a fun time. Yeah. And the vendors, it was just a nice community of vendors. Mm-hmm. People were very gracious, very complimentary. We traded yeah. a lot of stuff and a lot of ideas. And it was just a really, it was a great time of supportive of the arts. And I appreciated that. Oh, yeah. it's I, I've done a lot of events over the years. And that one, people feel more like... There's just greater sense of excitement and community than mm-hmm. I've seen. It's not like your standard farmer's market where you're no. just kind of out there in the morning and you don't really talk to anybody and ask about the honey and then move on to the next thing. It's There's that feeling that like it's almost I'm going to walk around singing like old black and white movie Christmas songs. Or well, I think that that winter festival is really important. Yeah, yeah. Or it yeah, it can sure. evoke something. At least for me growing up with Christmas, it was, uh, it was a really wonderful time of the year. Of course, I grew up in New York, so it actually snowed. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sometimes. Well, and that's the deeper meaning of why we called it Festivus and why we went after the Seinfeld joke. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Seinfeld joke is Festivus for the rest of us. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, we're really sick of, like, go get your pre-made junk and go send it to your family because you don't really think about it. And right. I want you to be able to go talk to that vendor and hear the story about why they decided to start making mm-hmm. that thing and what their history is. And that's a human connection you don't get when you order something off of Jeff Bezos' site. Yeah. Absolutely Well, it's not, not his anymore. Didn't he just retire? Did he? Yeah, I think he stepped down as mm-hmm. CEO. He turned over the reins to someone else whose mm-hmm. name I just don't care about. <laughs> I don't care about Jeff. And he's, uh, he's off busy building his $500 million boat. Yeah. Oh, and flying into space, of course, because we need <laughs> because billionaires in space. Right. Yeah, because Whitey's on the moon. Well, not yeah. quite to the moon. Well, I know. It's just making me think of that, that <laughs> poem. I don't know that poem. Oh, well, I can't feed my children, but Whitey's on the moon. It's from, from when we landed in the, oh, on the okay. moon. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the name of the author of the, the poem. It's, it's great. I just loved the event yeah. as like someone who participated, and I developed a small like cult following. I mean, my mm-hmm. items were very seasonal, yeah. and my season with cl- 
climate change gets increasingly shorter. I think we're about down to two weeks now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Someone would want to wear something on their head right. made of wool or around their neck. Um, but there were people who'd come and look. And mm-hmm. I actually got calls. The one time I didn't, well, the first time I didn't participate and then I just never did again. Mm-hmm. My whole life changed. And I was getting calls. It's like they were looking for you. Like I had this little cult following of oh, people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then I just got to meet them at coffee shops. But I still felt kind of included. Uh, it was yeah. really sweet. It was oh, really yeah. sweet. Yeah, yeah that's Catherine, community. Catherine actually had some really nice uh, knitted products, wool knitted products. Mm-hmm. And my wife had one that was mm-hmm. absolutely beautiful. And this is probably the wrong time to let you know this, but <laughs> she lost it. That's okay. I can make no, more. No, it was terrible. <laughs> I felt so bad about it because it was such a nice piece. That was a cute piece. And she left at one of her doctor's offices. Aww, well, maybe well, someone someone's using it. it. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, harder hitting. As a former legislator, one of my questions is that maybe maybe you can help answer for me is, I understand why people would want to do a recount, but maybe yes. not necessarily recount of the recount, or what the motivation behind our wonderful, and wasn't that supposed to be, let me back up a second, we have a recount currently going on, and I think it seems like it's the infinite recount, because it was supposed to be done a couple of months ago, and it's still not done. Yeah. I guess yeah. when you hire Floridians, you have to make sure they can count first. <laughs> I, I was a little bit confused as to why we needed the recount or mm-hmm. why it was why someone would want to do that kind of thing. Yeah, let me back up and say, I think that we need to not call it an audit or a recount. We need to call it a partisan recount. Fair point. Exactly. Because exactly. Th- that party, they got a hold of the reins mm-hmm. and they were able to convince uh, Karen Fan that they should do it. Now, the reason I think it happened really comes down to Karen Fan, who, you know, when I served there, I didn't agree with her on much, but I, she was a nice person. Mm-hmm. I, I was thought we could actually talk. I've been very deeply disappointed in her because I think what happened is she was afraid of that wing of her party, which is sizable, yes. that were, was following these conspiracy theories, right? She was afraid of them, and she probably thought, well, I'll just give, them, give the dog a bone and let them go do their recount, and it'll pass. Right. In fact, there are some emails that came out that support that theory. So she said, well, just let him have that time. Let him go for it. And then it has just kept going and going and going. And she can't shut it down now, but she should. Wow. Every time we talk about this, you have to lead with the facts. And the fact is the county did three audits. <laughs> well, they did a recount and two audits. I think that's how it works out. And they were audits that were done by you know, random sampling, which is works and the numbers came out exactly right now since then of course you've had former republican well no they're current republicans they're still republicans but they were former elections officials and Mm -hmm. stuff like that Mm -hmm. and that with that clear count group uh that organization uh they came out and they said we can prove to you that everything's okay fan let us do it which of course she hasn't done it they and they showed her how it could be done the frustrating thing about this you have over and over again the people who actually know how to do this, who were trained as elections yeah. monitors and elections officials, have shown this is why this works, this is how the numbers work out, what you're saying, cyber ninjas, is not true because of this, and we'll show you why. They literally went to the state capitol in December, the county did, mm-hmm. and said, here's how all of this works. We're answering all your questions, but then... The Senate still said, oh, we're going to follow down this conspiracy theory that has no basis in fact. So your question was, you know, why, do they, why are they still doing it? They're still doing it so they can galvanize their base. It's hard for me to really get my head it's around. It's difficult. It just, my mind goes numb. The motivation behind it. Right. I, at some point, I understand you know, fighting for your party and trying to get more power. 
but at what cost? Well, the cost is they're going to, you know, you've got Republican county supervisors mm-hmm. who have said this is wrong. Yes. You've got, four, you've got Republican specialists, like with ClearVote, or ClearCount, ClearVote, I can't remember the name of the, of the company, who are said that this is wrong. So you're losing people within your own party. Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't know if they're dividing their own party, but worse than that, they are creating a situation where people don't trust our democracy. The scariest thing for me is that I watched this happen in Bosnia. So prior to going to Bosnia in 1995, I was getting my master's degree in U.S. foreign policy. And in my undergrad, we were all watching the fall of the Soviet Union. We, you know, how Croatia started in 1991 and 92 with with that that falling apart. Slovenia, other parts of the, the Eastern Bloc. We watched that. And I'm seeing many of the same things. You know, megalomaniacal leaders who people follow unquestioningly. You have people who won't believe facts. You show them the facts Mm -hmm. and they'll go, well, that must not be true. I'll come up with another reason why Mm -hmm. I should believe what I believe. You know, it is very frightening. I don't like to be a pessimist or think that our, you know, country's falling apart. But unless we really get our shit together, Mm -hmm. it is going to, we're going to see the end of this. Yeah, and I wonder if that's mostly to do, as far as the Republicans trying to get their base out to the primaries, because the Mm -hmm. primary voters, especially on the Republican side, seem to have a a lot of sway in the party, Mm -hmm. even if they can't win the general election. Absolutely. But that still skews things. And occasionally, you know, you'll get someone like Trump who wins an election that was a little bit unforeseen. Right. He's the black swan, the outlier. There you go. Yes. There's a culmination of areas that we have to be concerned about here, and that is dark money, redistricting, Mm -hmm. and voter suppression. And those three things, people who want to see good government, whether they're Republican, Democrat, Independent, and want to pull away from this train we're on, need to really organize around those three things. The Republicans have rigged the redistricting commission at the state level. Yes. they have put in place significant voter suppression at the state level and other states, of course. And dark money, they were able to put that in place years ago. In 2022, unless we have a significant showing of people at the redistricting commission as they start having their public hearings to really push back against districts that are made to support incumbents, unless we get really behind Terry Goddard's Uh, anti-dark money campaign and unless we go and work four times as hard to get people out to vote and help them navigate the voter suppression Mm -hmm. we're really in deep trouble because not as many people come out to vote in off-year elections so 2022 not just the republican party but that wing of the republican party the QAnon wing of the republican party will definitely dominate unless we get people out i find that so frightening and my issue with this whole partisan recount, and I wanted to ask you, it's like, what is it going to do to the voters in Arizona? Are we going to become more passionate? Are people going to get behind these issues? Yeah. Are people just going to not trust the government? Go like, oh, screw it. You know, right. can't do anything anyway. I mean, that would be the most horrible position. It's like, how right. do you re-engage people? How do you engage people who were never engaged and now are at the same risk of all of us yeah, of yeah. losing something that we hold dear? You know, Worst case scenario, people just give up. Right. But 
you have people who are going to believe that the, you know, what I just saw Lori Roberts this morning, 63% of Republicans think that there should be a new election or something. Well, I hate to break it to you, 63% mm-hmm. of Republicans, but someone's been lying to you, first about the audit, and then about the possibility that you could even have a recount, a re-election. But was you, that Republicans in Arizona or in Republicans? Arizona, okay. yeah. Uh, it was just in the paper this morning. Okay. You cannot re-vote. There's no, there's no allowance in no. the Arizona Constitution to re-vote that election. It's just not possible. So you have what you have. Right. So then you ask the question, all right, so what's going to convince these guys that we actually have a stable voting system? Mm-hmm. All right, well, if Republicans come in and sweep in 2022, which is very possible because fewer Democrats come out to vote, will they then say, okay, now we've got it sorted out. Now we can trust our system. Yeah, what states them? What's the satiation point? When do they stop? Yeah, well, they only stop when they have complete control. Okay. And they can get rid of all the the liberals or whatever. Well, but the, then they'll start on the rhinos. Yeah, oh, exactly. I mean, this, there's no end to that. Right. Which is the frightening thing. And you, we've lost uh, we've lost that element of... of look, I mean, the Dem- Democratic Party has lost a lot of tolerance with its, in, within its ranks as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a huge litmus test kind of ecology uh, in, in the Democratic Party as well. I've, I've never considered myself a Democrat, uh, and I was a registered Republican for a long time, mm-hmm. but I am no longer a registered Republican. And even though I don't feel like a Democrat, it just seems like the more sane party or the last sane Oh, yeah, party. no, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm Democrat, and I, I believe if you look at the party platform, I'm there. I'm fully there. What I'm not down for is the internal backstabbing silliness well, I guess my point is that you're always going to have internal yeah. fighting, but it seems right. like the Democrats fight less in some ways mm-hmm. as far as what their positions are. I think from a position standpoint, oh, the, the Democrats, policy? yeah, the yeah. policy uh, mm-hmm. is closer together, which is very ironic because they're willing to kick each other out of their own party. Like uh, Al Franken got kicked out for yeah. almost nothing, mm-hmm. really right. nothing. Right. And he was a you know big hitter. They lost. It a had big nothing hitter. to do with policy. It had to do with absolutely nothing. It was an old yeah. joke. Mm-hmm. You know, it was which I, I when I when I read that article when I first saw that article about him and this was back it was this like three or four years ago, a conservative radio host right. who had been touring with Al Franken yes. during the Iraq War. They were doing comic. It was before relations. she was a host. Right. She was yeah. before she was host, mm-hmm. but she's now a conservative right. host. So we know where her political leanings are. Yeah. Uh, Al Franken was had a picture of him taking basically mocking groping her while right. she had a flak jacket and she on. was asleep that was a, that was right. a joke that she was wearing a flak jacket and this is totally within al franken and this is when al franken was a comedian right right uh and so i i thought that was a joke i thought they were making a joke out of this that this this really wasn't a serious thing they're going to throw al franken out of the senate because of this no that that's exactly what happened whereas the republicans you can literally molest children and they won't throw you out of the party there's gates and uh, what was that guy in um in the Arizona legislature? Not the Arizona. I was thinking no, of Stringer Tennessee the Arizona or... Legislature. I know what you're I saying. He, ba- he barely lost his election. There was an interesting uh, New York Times columnist. I can't remember who it was. Uh, and But she was interviewed on Fresh Air. It must have been about two years ago. Mm-hmm. No more than two years ago. And she has done a lot of work on basically Me Too issues. Mm-hmm. And she didn't really follow the Franken thing until like a year later. And then she followed it and she started looking into like what evidence really was there and was it justified for them to, to ask him to step down. And in the end, it seemed pretty clear that 
what they they should have done is given Franken an opportunity to stand up for himself. Now, there's a political calculation, and the leadership of the Democratic Party was like, do we want to go through that right mm-hmm. now? And I understand that calculation, but it's really sad because Franken was really uh, quite... I mean, he's a humorist, so he mm-hmm. could use that to his advantage quite effectively. And we need that. We need a humorist in office. Well, the yeah. thing with Al, uh, Franken was he wasn't just a humorist. But he was very clever and very smart. I watched several of his when he was interviewing DeVos for the Secretary of Education. He clearly understood the issues better than she did, which was a little scary that this was became mm-hmm. DeVos became yeah. the yeah. Secretary of Education and one random senator knew a lot more about her job than she did. Yeah. But that, I mean, he was just very smart, as well as being a human. And he surrounded himself with very, very smart staff, like just good people there. Yeah, I think yeah. that is well uh, often overlooked how important mm-hmm. good staff is. Yeah. George Bush Jr. had an awful staff, and I think because of his staff, he had well, he's not the brightest guy, but I think more mm-hmm. so, it wasn't so much George Bush was a bad guy. I think his staff was a bunch of crazy people, right. and so he wound up with a pretty unsuccessful administration, mm-hmm. in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. You seem to be much better about talking politics than I am because I, I tend <laughs> to get a little bit more fired up and possibly a little more uh, extreme. You seem to be able to bring it back and... Yeah, many years of meditation. Okay. Oh, that does help, doesn't it? Yeah, well, there's certain people I'm not good at talking to, to about policy because I'm just so, like, I don't know, like family members sometimes. Like, I don't understand why you refuse to look at data. Like you refuse to, like you say that you're, that you listen to both sides, you know, quote, quote, air quotes, but you clearly don't because you share articles with me from like, or you share Turning Point USA stuff or like you're, you're not critical enough of, skeptical enough of those things. And it's so frustrating. I've lost two very close friends. Well, one's on life support. One, one friendship is on life support. Not the person. Oh, okay. It's just like my old iPad air plugged into the wall. Like we're like. Mm-hmm. I can do stuff like we do, but the other one's definitely gone, and it was all surrounding exactly that. You know, this mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, sending this nonsensical information, things that weren't mm-hmm. vetted, stuff mm-hmm. that wasn't even rational. And right. you ask and ask, it's like, please don't send. Let's just keep it light and fluffy. Let's keep it about art. Let's keep it about crap. Mm-hmm. Let's keep it about your grand whatever. Not this. And the degree to which one just went, I call her full Q now. I mean, uh, and it's really, yeah. really hard. And it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. It's heartbreaking to have lost, you know, these long-term well, here's scenarios. I mean, how do you stop that? I mean, this is ridiculous. I know. And let, me, let me throw something back at Go you. Go ahead. If we truly believe that we're in danger of losing our country, mm-hmm. is it not incumbent upon us to engage with the people in these situations? Mm-hmm. I think we should be trying to engage, yet I'm a bit of a hypocrite because I have a terrible time engaging. It's difficult, Ken. Like, I don't, I have a lot more patience than some people in having political conversations. Mm -hmm. But that patience comes from just going, yeah, I'm going to step back. I'm not going to talk to you. There are people that I know who are really, really good at taking the time to, like, listen. Okay, let's see where our commonalities are. Mm -hmm. And let me reach out to those commonalities and start building that bridge. We need millions of people who have those skill, that skill base, okay. or have been trained in that skill base, to start breaking this down. Short of that, I don't know how, how we get out of this mess. Um, and I'm certainly I not, I'm probably not helping much. I, I don't know that this has proved to be a successful point, but I, I think one way to do that is to pivot to the, the topics at hand rather than the cult of personality. 
look yeah. actually look at the issues on hand because most sure. Americans agree on a lot of this stuff. It's just Absolutely. once once you start uh, banking it down through the lens of the parties, mm-hmm. then it becomes like a religion, and then it doesn't matter what you thought you thought. <laughs> once the re- religion tells you what your yeah. stance is on masks or the vaccine then you have to take the party line. But that's the challenge, though, that's right? That's the challenge. So I absolutely agree with you. So how do you, if you take it away from the cult of personality and you want to work on a particular issue, right? So let's say I talk to some person on, on the audit, okay? Mm-hmm. And they say, I read this article that says 47 or 74,000 ballots were, not, were never asked mm-hmm. for and they were sent out and, you know, and they were returned. And, and then I'll say, no, the article you read is not actual journalism. It doesn't have, mm-hmm. they're not asking true sides. It's from this, this website that doesn't even, right, don't even know right. what it is. It's clearly just a biased thing. Mm-hmm. It's not actual journalism. And also here are the sources where you can follow Garrett Archer, mm-hmm. uh, who tracks, who's really a very specialized election. Anyway, so you get into the, here's the proof, A, B, C, D. Mm-hmm. And they come back and say, I ex- reject all of that. Exactly. So you're digging into one issue. Now, it's not that it's impossible to get there, but it takes an incredible amount of patience to just like take one thread, another thread, another thread, and I wish I had better patience. I mean, I wish I could do it. I do too. I don't have the patience. I have two rounds of that and I'm done. No, I don't have the patience. And I think with the pandemic, I bring up the pandemic every podcast. Mm-hmm. But I mean, my patience was really cut thin. You know, there were certain other things that like were in the forefront. And like, so having all the political stuff that had been going on during the former administration, and then now, bam, like we're in this essentially life or death situation, and everything's scary, and mm-hmm. your adrenaline's on high, and, like you're just in a total fight or fight mode mm-hmm. or whatever it is. And now you're still dealing with these political. I didn't have any, I, at one point, I remember the day I just ran out. It was like, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I have to be done because this is never going to stop. Right. It needs to go over here in a little box and we can revisit this relationship or we can just move on. And yeah. I had to really focus on my family, focus on my own mental health, right. focus on my meditation practice. It was clear that nothing I could say or do could tease through that amount of opposition. I think that's what we have to avoid, though, mm-hmm. because then we shut down and we don't, don't do the work. And that the problem is, is, is one lie is really hard to untangle. So mm-hmm. the, the mm-hmm. other, well, not the other side, but, you know, one side can be putting out 10 lies a day and it takes 10 days to unravel each lie. Right. right. So right. the only counter argument to that would be to have better slogans. Better which? Slogans. Better slogans. slogans. <laughs> well, that's what George Lakoff would say. Mm-hmm. I think... Um, it takes that trying to figure out where that shared connection is. Mm-hmm. I know because I see them talk about it. The Trump base, they don't trust corporations. Right. Now, they mistrust them for different reasons. Let's spend some time on that. I don't trust corporations either. Mm-hmm. Why don't you trust them? Well, they support a bunch of lefty field. Really? Because I think they support a bunch. But I think probably through a conversation come up to some common ground there and it's just going to take a while and that's the hardest hardest part is that they're taking a while but what you're telling me everything you're saying is basically reinforcing the idea of ranked choice voter voting yeah because that allows for other ideas to creep into Mm -hmm. the mix and even if the person that you vote for maybe he comes in the person comes in third but those ideas get talked about the two parties have to bang back and forth and if there are more voices there are more voices to countervail whatever misinformation is out right. there i think it's easier to make a consensus around a third voice that isn't already invested in one uh, one of the other two parties is that where we're going i don't know if that's true 
I don't know where we're going. Okay. <laughs> I wish I could could predict anything past the end of this interview. Like I don't right. know. Right. But oh, you, Ken, think, you don't know where this interview is going. <laughs> <laughs> so this is why I keep talking about dark money, ranked mm-hmm. choice voting, and redistricting. With dark money, you need to have disclosure. Even Justice Scalia said you need to have he disclosure. Did. He I've did. got the quote. Yeah. And then with ranked choice voting, it gives you more space for conversation. And with redistricting, you need to have a greater number of competitive districts. If you look at the competitive districts, that's where the members of those districts have to be considered more moderate, either from the Democrats or the Republicans, oh, right. because that's the only way they're going to pick up the win. Mm-hmm. Um, and just generally speaking, when I look at the uh, districting map, mm-hmm. map, I mean, they're, 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 they're absurd. You know, they, they have these little thin angel hair lines that connect one side of the state to the other side of the state. To, mm-hmm. And those t- two cohorts of people are not the same group. If you look at the five criteria for redistricting into the Arizona Redistricting Commission, you have this balance or this uh, this tension back and forth between, for instance, competitiveness, compactness, similar populations, right? You have to respect geographic boundaries, and you have to create things called communities of interest. Now, the problem you have there is that communities of interest is not defined. Right. And I think it's the biggest Trojan horse in the system, because what you have is you have uh, even though we have a redistricting commission, you still get to make presentations to them and get your community to go speak and try to get your communities of interest represented on that thing, mm-hmm. on that map. But what happens is politicians are the ones who organize the communities. So it's just kind of a grass, you know, astroturf kind of situation. Okay. They'll go in there and say, well, our community of interest, we're, we're a community west of, of 19th Avenue, but east of 19th Avenue, that's a different community. Well, gosh, who lives just west of 19th Avenue? This one representative who wants to stay in their district. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Republicans used it quite effectively. Oh, actually, both of them did in 2010. They used it quite effectively to create districts for people they wanted to see elected. Kirsten mm-hmm. Sinema's district was created mm-hmm. that way. Mm-hmm. They, cre- they were like, this is our community of interest, and they built it around what used to be the Greg Stanton mm-hmm. City Council District. Oh. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. actually have one of those thin lines that connects Ahwatukee to part of yes. Phoenix. So, and they're like, well, that's our community of interest. And I'm sitting here walk, watching behind the scenes going, mm-hmm. I know what you're doing. You're creating mm-hmm. a district for cinema. So they're per, just, mm-hmm. she just organized better, mm-hmm. right? And then you had community, quote unquote, communities of interest for parts of rural Arizona. And it makes sense. You don't want rural Arizona to be stuck with urban Arizona mm-hmm. in one district. They do legitimately have different communities of interest. But what you have to watch out for are those ways that people in the redistricting process are manipulating the system. Now, everything I just said will be ignored by 98% of the people because it took more than 140 characters to say it. Right. That's the challenge. And, and when, I, when I've, I've worked on two different redistricting situations, 2001 and 2011, and the, the challenge you have is that you're arguing degrees. Hey, it'll be a lot better if we move 20, 20% more toward competitive districts. I made a case in 2011, we had a statewide competition Mm -hmm. to see who could create the greatest number of competitive districts. Mm. And in the legislature, our winner had created 10 competitive districts, and we usually have three. He created 10 competitive districts. He still respected communities of interest, geographic boundaries, Voting Rights Act, which I haven't even talked about yet. Right. Right. All that stuff. And he still came up with 10 competitive. What would it look like if we actually had 10 competitive districts in Arizona? It'd be huge. Do you think it would make any difference if the districts were smaller? 
if we had more representatives? Yeah, actually, I do. I do think that we need, we have, you know, 30 districts. Mm -hmm. We need to have probably 60, which would mean we'd have to tear down our state house and put up a new one somewhere. Or Or we can do it online. Meet in Veterans Coliseum. They don't need it. (laughs) They don't need it for the audit anymore. I'm sure there are plenty. Oh, Oh aren't they still, isn't the audit still going uh, underway, full steam? No, what they did is they've taken the ballots, and now they're just counting the number of ballots to see if it matches using a counting machine. So they're not actually counting the votes anymore. Fan just bought some ballot counting machines or paper counters, and she's just... Okay. Counting to see how many come up. And it's still. Yeah, so they, when do they expect this to be over? Now, do you know? No idea. Okay, like good. The, I mean, the Probably fact that she's having to count it after Cyber Ninjas counted oh. it tells me that she doesn't try that Cyber Ninjas count. But then, she, you know, they had that quote-unquote hearing, that kangaroo hearing on mm-hmm. Friday, right? Saying, "Oh, now we uh, we've come up with all these discrepancies." So of course, every one of the discrepancies, the the people who were trained as counters as recorders as election specialists said there's a reason for every one of these and you just because you guys don't know what the hell you're doing you didn't see them this is so frustrating to me like i have this debate you know going on with somebody on facebook and they're saying all this stuff they're believing the lie Mm -hmm. right and i'm like you work in it you work in computers you would not let somebody who's not certified and trained touch that server that you work on But, but you're happy to have these goofballs from Florida, who have no experience, no certification in elections, come in and get their grubby fingers all over these machines. It's right. absurd. It's because you want to believe this thing. I think one of the funniest stories was a couple months ago, Cyber Ninjas was saying, oh my gosh, we finally found this smoking gun. And it was because there was, they were missing or de- had deleted a whole part of the database. Right. And, and then it turned out that Cyber Ninjas had accidentally lost it. Yeah, they have the log files. Okay, there you go. Yeah, it's just absurd. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I you understand a lot of that up. stuff, but I have a limit, too. And I'm not going to pretend that I know all that stuff, but I'm going to go to specialists who have the certification, and you know that's reasonable. Well, that's the thing. I, I can't take the time to dive into everything because no. I'm not smart enough to do that. So, But if the Republican— but you're smart enough to figure out who to trust. I, well, to some degree. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I trust Catherine. Okay. Oh, well, until, nice. un, until she drove me over here, then I was like, "Wait a second, better re- reevaluate this." <laughs> Going to the He's wrong like, Put your phone down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. Oh, uh, I forgot my point now. Yeah, sorry, I interrupted. All, no, it was her. I blame I just her. have one more quick question about the redistricting. Sure. It's like my background. I have a background. I'm a nurse by training, mm-hmm. and way back in my days of school, like we used to divide like the public health districts, just mm-hmm. in catchment areas of like 200,000 people. And pardon my simple brain, but it's like, why can't they just divide it by 200,000 people, like just in little areas, little squares, and not mm-hmm. have to have competitive versus oh, not sure. competitive? I mm-hmm. mean, wouldn't that just be more equitable than no. everyone in the state gets to vote? It no? Would, it wouldn't. It would be a violation <clears throat> of the Voting Rights Act. Okay, okay. So um, some people will say that. They'll always say, well, just have a computer to figure it out. Well, we know that's not going to work because... We don't trust the computers anymore, okay. as evidenced by everything that's been going on. That can be hacked. The second, they say, well, why can't you just have equal size squares? Right. Okay, well, if you have equal size squares, then you have different populations. Okay, mm-hmm. well, then you adjust for the population. Okay, once you've adjusted for the population, now you have to adjust for the Voting Rights Act because the Voting Rights Act says a certain number of districts must allow a minority population to win oh, in that right. district, which... Even even me wanting to have more competitive districts, I should say a greater number of competitive districts, even in my calculation, you don't touch the Voting Rights Act. You still need to allow minority populations to win in a significant number of districts. The problem is, 
the the counterweight to that, and mm-hmm. Republicans love this. Mm-hmm. They love the Voting Rights Act districts because they want to see them super packed. They want to see them mm-hmm. packed more than they need to be just to get people elected in those districts. Okay. They want to super pack them because it drains the other districts out of okay. Democrats, and then they end up winning more districts. It's one of the reasons the Republicans are in such great control here. That makes so, sense. They played the game well. They're very good at it. They seem to be. Yeah. They seem to be good at gaining power, but not knowing what to do with it. Oh, I think they're it. very good at knowing what to do with I it. Oh, do you think so? Think so? Okay. Did you see how with what's her name on the Supreme Court? I mean, they're going to be tearing down a lot of stuff here. Much of the six-three votes. Talking about the yeah, Supreme wh- Court, though, it's kind of funny thinking about how absolutely crazy the Repo- Republicans talk about when the Democrats were su- suggesting maybe we'll add more Supreme Court positions to yeah. rebalance the court. Mm-hmm. Of course, um, I remember a Republican did that not too long ago. Yeah, Ducey did it. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah, kind of funny. That it's, that's, that's one of the things that's really hard to get over is the hypocrisy. Now, Grant, yeah. you're always going to have hypocrisy on both sides, but it just seems like in the, in the last five or six years, mm-hmm. it, it's just gone off the deep end. Yeah, it on. feels like it's just the norm. I don't even know you, what a conservative position is these days. <laughs> Do you know what, uh, you know, the, the term uh, uh, starving the beast? Mm-hmm. Starving the beast, it's a feedback loop mm-hmm. where you starve certain agencies of funding, find a reason to starve them of funding so they are less effective. So the public says, this agency right. sucks, government sucks, I'm, I'm going to vote to give them less money. Mm-hmm. So then you keep doing it, keep doing that, and keep doing that. And I think it was uh, Grover Norquist yeah. who said, I want to see government so small I can drown it in a bathtub. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a cute saying, <laughs> but it's also absolutely irresponsible because you may not like government but the fact is it's never going to go away if it's small you're going to have government by plutocrats and then you still have a problem you're not actually solving anything you might as well focus on having effective government right. rather mm-hmm. than small government but what you've seen them do here in the legislature for the last 30 some years is cut taxes turn around and say we don't have enough money to, to take care of these uh, schools, s- schools, schools. and the, all these services y'all want. But you know what? Let's cut taxes again so that the, our economy will grow. And there's mm-hmm. no real solid evidence that our economy wouldn't have grown this much anyway, right? Mm-hmm. But they cut taxes, say they can't fund anything to cut taxes. Ken, once you get to a certain point of taxation, rich people just stop working. They just stop wanting more money. <laughs> <laughs> it's proven that once you get beyond they'll like stop. 5% tax they'll on them, they, yeah. they're out. But here's the other sad part about it is because the legislature needs a two-thirds majority in order to raise taxes Mm -hmm. in the legislature, you literally can't raise taxes again. We're stuck. Every time we cut taxes, we're not getting it back. I'm not a big fan of taxes either way, but I I always find it ironic that people talk about how bad government is, but how great private corporations are. Mm. Um, I'm actually, I guess I have a slightly longer view on it, and I see things like Yahoo!, and AOL, which at one point were the internet, literally right. AOL and Yahoo, that was that was the dominance. They were the premier people on the internet. Where are they now? They just They're got sold, sold off yeah. for five billion dollars. These were companies that were worth at one point five hundred million dollars. They just got sold again for the third time at a huge loss for five billion dollars. So just imagine if that happened to our country. Like if we sold off mm-hmm. the Department of Defense, at one point was worth say I don't know ten trillion dollars. 
mm-hmm. 10 years from now, if it is so badly run, we sell it off for, a, you know, a, a $1 billion. You know, I don't, I, you said that you're not a fan of taxes. I, I'm not either. Oh, well, I'm, I'm just yeah. saying, in, you know, I don't like paying them, but I, I yeah. do like having roads and I do like yeah, having schools. Right. So yeah. there's a trade-off. Yeah, that's I a guess good my, thing. my view of the tax code in Arizona is that you should be able to adjust it for the times. Our tax code is very much favors an economy that doesn't exist here anymore. That's dominated by cattle. It's dominated by coal. It's dominated by copper. You, what we should be doing if, with our tax code is you need to you need to be able to get rid of t- uh, tax credits and tax rebates and stuff that don't really mm-hmm. favor us anymore, and start favoring things like companies that that are creating renewable energy, water conservation, stuff that we know builds jobs. But you need to have a tax code that favors that in order to get it started. We know that it works. We've done it all the time. But in order to do that and not be harmful to our budget, you need to be able to eliminate some tax codes. Mm-hmm. But we can't because of that two-thirds vote. We've painted ourselves in a corner. If you take a look at all the tax cuts and rebates, I think that we used to have this list somewhere. I think our state budget is about 10 or $11 billion. The tax uh, rebates that we give away every year... Mm-hmm that we could just be collecting taxes, that's something like $15 billion. Mm. Wow. So we, we need to take a look at that. Napolitano tried to do it, but she did not get very, very far at all. Mm-hmm. She had a whole commission, and everyone met a bunch of times and made recommendations, and then the book went on the shelf because you couldn't get the votes to do it. This is the kind of dysfunction that really makes a state, states and a country fall apart. Yeah, that's, I guess the problem is that you need to have the legislative will to go in and do a lot of reworking of the system right and that's there's a lot of entrenched positions that will want to stop you because they have money riding on it and that's why i keep going back to my three things Mm -hmm. because they're foundational yes i care i spend most of my time thinking about the sustainability and the environment right or voting rights but i know that i'm not going to get to change many of those things until you change the foundation so you're going to change the foundation through redistricting through ranked choice voting, dark money, campaign finance reform. When you can get those changed, then you can get better people in office. It's the long play, which doesn't endear me much to, to some folks in the party because they want to like, what are you doing right now? Go, go to those meetings and complain about whatever's in the news. Regarding dark money, how is it that in Arizona, the dark money power brokers get so much kind of exempted treatment? Well, because uh, in Arizona law, there was a bill in 2000. 16 called Senate Bill 1516 okay. that codified the 2010 Supreme Court ruling of Citizens United. It codified that into Arizona law okay. so that, you know, dark money is flowing very freely. In fact, that law, that Senate Bill 1516, made it so that anybody can give unlimited cash to a party. Yes. The party can spend that on their candidates, but don't have to tell you where that money came from. So even though we have laws that say a candidate must disclose where they get their money, mm-hmm. like if you guys gave me a contribution, I'd mm-hmm. put your names down and like disclose it and everyone can see it. But that loophole through Senate Bill 1516 is basically shove money through the parties and then they can spend it directly on candidates and not have to actually report. So it's this big workaround. So that's one of the ways. And what Terry Goddard is trying to do in this new effort is to tighten that up so that if you as a, a an organization remember there are a bunch of these like nonprofit right. into yes. charitable organizations mm-hmm. that are really just campaign organizations under a different name mm-hmm. let's just say uh, Americans for Puppies and Apple Pie right okay. <laughs> so Americans for Puppies and Apple Pie under his rule as soon as they spend $50,000 in a statewide campaign 
or $25,000 in a local campaign, okay. say legislature, they must disclose who gave them the money all the way back to the person who earned it. Oh, okay. Okay? And that person, uh, and they have to, they only have to disclose people who have given more than $5,000. Okay. There's the reason they do that is so that if you're in a membership organization, like a chamber or mm-hmm. a union or something, mm-hmm. and you give over the course of two years, a cycle, over the course of a cycle, you give $100 or $1,000 or $2,000. And we figure that's pretty small. You right. don't have to yeah. report that. But if you're a Jeff Bezos mm-hmm. and you give $30,000 and then that gets distributed to an organization that then spends a minimum of $50,000 in a statewide election, mm-hmm. then you, you now have to disclose that, right? So what does that do? Well, it does exactly what Justice Scalia was saying. Mm-hmm. It's like he basically said, we live in a democracy where you should be able to, you should have to stand up next to your opinion. Yes. And everyone should know who you are. Now the now the conservatives and some of some of the Democrats keep saying, Well, you need to be able to be anonymous, otherwise you're gonna get doxxed. Otherwise someone's gonna come after you and threaten you. Well, we have very few actual cases of that happening where people who gave money are gonna are gonna be threatened. Right. But right. nonetheless we have rules against threatening people. They have laws against threatening people. You don't need to let them hide under this under this veil. So you, you ask, like, how are people able to do all of this? Well, they do it because the Republicans passed a law. Okay. And then a bunch of Democratic Party activists, or, or I should say consultants and, and campaign managers and stuff, were like, well, we kind of dig this dark money stuff. We're right. going to use it, too. Well, the f- problem with that is, A, the other side's going to have a lot more money always. Mm-hmm. B, even aside from that, that kind of practical application, you're supporting a system that com- deeply undermines our entire democracy. It does. I think that one of the more, a couple of the more frightening examples that I would point to is not so much in the congressional and legislative world, um, federal president or whatever like that. It's those small little boards that meet and dark money can influence. So we're seeing more dark money in school board races. We don't know exactly where it's coming from. The city council race. Yes, uh, yes, I mean... Um, I'm sorry, okay. uh, just one. And uh, we believe it was the the uh, home builders who did this, but we don't know for sure. They spent like fifty or $60,000 mm-hmm. on these hit pieces, never had to disclose where it came from. But they knew they could get away with it. So you get city council, s- school boards. Think of this. Think of some area of Arizona that has a water district board. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever pays attention to water no, district no. board. But for less than the cost of lunch for their friends, some of these guys in one of these you know dark money groups mm-hmm. can go in and rig that election to get certain people on that water district board that'll allow them to pump more water than they should so that they can sell crops out of the country or something. We, don't, we have no way to track this stuff. Right. Ken, you're depressing me. Stop it. No, it seems like they're more concerned about doxing or if that was even be an issue than about the accountability and the intent. Yeah, I, I, on one thing, I agree, agree with Justice Scalia. Let me just read the quote for you. Yeah, read it, please. This was from the, the, um, the Citizens United case. He said, For my part, I do not look forward to a society which, thanks to the Supreme Court, campaigns anonymously, hidden from public scrutiny and protected from the accountability of criticism. Justice Scalia. One of the bases of a democracy is that you should be able to stand up for your opinion. 
Exactly. And that people need to know who you are in order for that to happen. Well, and being a more moral and ethical person, you should stand up for your opinions yeah. and you shouldn't be afraid to let people know who back you and who you back. Right. I think of that as being conservative value. But again, I don't know what conservative is now nowadays. <laughs> so mm-hmm. who knows? I was a conservative when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I was a Boy Scout and I learned, uh, they taught me, leave your campsite cleaner than you found it. Hey, mm-hmm. that's why I'm an environmentalist now. It's one of the mm-hmm. reasons I was no longer a Republican. I started going, hey, I don't think these guys really want to leave their campsites cleaner than they found them. I'm a former Republican also. It's hard to admit. (laughs) Yeah. We should start a club. There's a lot of them. So maybe on a slightly lighter side, when you became a legislator, legislator, legislator. Legislator. Yes, thank you. Real tour. It (laughs) (laughs) seems like that's kind of a big burden, not necessarily a big burden, but a, a big step to take. And I was wondering, was there part of that process... Uh, or while you were there that you thought was going to be a big deal, but, you know, you got over or you, you just wasn't as big a deal as you thought it was going to be, like maybe winning the election or something about registering or actually passing laws. Yeah, I think that I thought that more people would listen to what I had to say. Oh. <laughs> um, you know, you get a, a small group of people in your district who listen, mm-hmm. right? And if you're doing a good job, um, I don't think that I did a particularly great job of communicating where I stood, especially in the last couple of years of being there. But if you're doing a good job, you'll get more people listening to you, mm-hmm. right? And you kind of build it from there. But I think that I think that I hoped that people would have more time to understand how things worked. And I really enjoyed putting together little videos, kind of like your kind of how stuff works videos. And they're mm-hmm. like two or three minutes, and I'd go in there and I'd have a little whiteboard and I'd say, this is how the, this is how we choose tax policy and boiled mm-hmm. down into three minutes. And some people really liked that. But I, I think I was hoping idealistically that people would get more into that. And it's idealistic because I don't fault people. You got kids, you got your pets, you got mm-hmm. two jobs, you got all this stuff. And I think I was hoping that people would get more into those details. Paradoxically enough, the person that got more people interested in how the system works was mm-hmm. Donald Trump. For our part, out of defense and understanding, and the people started waking up. And right. going, Holy yeah. shit, can we that. can't let yeah. this guy do it. And, and, and I think that's one of the reasons I was really struggling in the last couple of years in being in office, and possibly why I lost the election, was I was just becoming so distraught. I, I was just like, I, I don't understand how why aren't people motivated by the positivity of why, how we can do better? They're only motivated when some megalomaniac like Trump comes along. And even then our attention is, is really sparse. That's a great question. I, I wondered the same thing. Uh, I, I suspect it's because our monkey brains weren't really designed for this kind of stuff. No, they really weren't. I don't think they were. We have to be very careful how we design our systems yeah. so that to, to basically protect mm-hmm. ourselves from ourselves. Right. To make it easier to make the right cho- choice than the, the wrong choice, and well, you have to you have to put a, a, a you have to create an entire structure around making it easier to make the right choice, because mm-hmm. the, the wrong choice is easier. It's easier to eat ice cream than grapes. Right. It's easier to believe a lie that comes out of the press because our brains are design are hardwired for confirmation bias. Well, was it like yeah, just little information bias? Like when I was work like years and years ago when I was working. Um, and some of my first jobs out of like the bedside nursing, we like all of a sudden like there's computers and, and mm-hmm. it seemed like, you know, when we p- spend so much attention to detail at the bedside and really 
finesse like every possible because like someone's you know family their mm-hmm. life's in your hands like you're worried and all of a sudden now we're like looking at data we're looking at big chunks and everything was like fast 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 mm-hmm. and so in my head I thought like I'm working with people and I developed this click of the mouse theory that anything that went beyond what would necessitate a click of the mouse mm-hmm. like in maybe a 15 second increment would not be of interest to anyone and my ability to dive down I sent mm-hmm. you some notes for a podcast he's like you're so detailed I am a detail oriented mm-hmm. person. I dig it. I would have loved your movies or mm-hmm. like your little films, you know, I would have been right down there with you. Yeah. Like, yeah, let's get, let's dig down. Let's look at the root cause. But it seems like these little sound bites are where you're, where we're at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and the, the negative ones are easier, to, easier to sell. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think the that negative we were prim- crazy ones. Right. Yeah. And my, 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 thought of it and again it's probably simplistic but like in terms of like talk radio and the genesis like it was so much you know it was fun to like listen to George Norrie and Coast to Coast to hear about aliens and abductions <laughs> and you know ghosts and then it started mm-hmm. getting into you know pre law you know whatever the hell and then it started getting into politics and that same mindset it, it became like mm-hmm. a fun like almost like a sport and I don't know if we were primed in some way, and I'm not saying there was like some big board, yeah. you know, I'm not saying that at all. But, um, you know, it was fun. It was fun to believe that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And it's kind of fun. It's more dramatic. You get into a to tribe. Believe. Unless you get into a tribe. Yeah. And it's more dramatic to believe something negative. I mean, it just is more fun. Yeah. I mean, it, I'm it, not saying it is fun. No, I understand. I mean, it, there you got that. Somebody had that saying once, like, just because. The conspiracy theories, the really crazy mm-hmm. Pizzagate conspiracy right. theories, are not true. Doesn't mean there weren't conspiracies. Mm. Right. The Tuskegee experiments, how they experimented on women in Cuba to come up with the the pill. Those things were conspiracies, but Correct. they're just not as theatrical mm-hmm. as Pizzagate or the Clintons eating babies or whatever that mm-hmm. absurdity is. I think we would agree that when you have the crazy conspiracies, it draws your attention away from the conspiracies that you mm-hmm. should actually work on that, that are Which serious. Which is the point. Yeah. There's a point to that. Yeah. You know, in our conspiracy, that's our main goal is we create other conspiracies to take away from our conspiracy mm-hmm. so people don't pay attention to us. Anyway, I think we, let's try to lighten it up with one final question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Which I'll is, dodge it again. Here's a very difficult question for you. Ready? Uh, which are better, cats or dogs? Oh, dogs. Okay, well that was easy. I literally have a painting of my dead dog over my I fireplace. I haven't been looking at that at all. I've been looking at it the whole time. <laughs> yeah. It's either it's either really creepy or really touching. It depends it's on the interpreter. Touching. Yeah. I'm touched. Yeah. All right. Well, that was easy. That was easy. <laughs> Thank you, Ken. Thank you. It was fun. And good night. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>